From America's heartland in Indiana, this is Get In, the podcast focused on the unfolding stories and extraordinary innovations happening right now in the heartland. Today's guest is Steve Johns, CEO at OneCause. If you're a founder or if you're just getting your company started, I think you really do need to do self-evaluation and, and figure out what am I good at yep. and what am I not good at and, yep. and really be able, and it, maybe you need some help from somebody to say what you're not good at. Steve Johns is the CEO at One Cause, which is a company based in Indianapolis, helping nonprofits build a better tomorrow by leveraging technology to fuel their missions and raise more money. Steve has over 30 years of experience in tech, corporate development, venture capital, event production, and entrepreneurship. He started his career up in Chicago and eventually became vice president of global business development at Gateway. Steve has also built a venture accelerator, which eventually became a $100 million investment company, and then built a 10-plus-year career in the music industry before taking the helm at one cause. His most recent accomplishment is the launch of his book, Fearless, Leadership Lessons at the Crossroads, an incredible collection of timeless learnings, real-life experiences, and stories from Steve's prolific career. Steve, welcome to Get In. Let's get started. So yeah. uh, I was... Raised in the Midwest, I was um, I grew up in a small town outside of Chicago called Lockport, Illinois. B back then, we would never have called ourselves a suburb, but now all of a sudden, with suburban sprawl, it's now part of the suburban Chicago area. Small town, uh, you know, kind of roots of uh, blue collar and and kind of hardworking, uh, hardworking folks. What did your parents do? My dad is a Lutheran minister, actually, and not a lot of people know that. Wow. But but if you read, I, I actually do mention it a couple of times in the book. And he's a Lutheran minister, but he's also an amazing preacher. And I think that I learned a lot from him about how delivering a message, you know, kind of organizing and structuring um, presentations. And so he's an amazing, he's still, he's still with us. He's 88 years old. He has dementia, unfortunately, uh, but he is in a, a beautiful retirement uh, and, and care facility out in Oakland. And I actually mentioned him a couple of times in the book. Sounds like a great storyteller. Absolutely. Yeah, he, he was fantastic. Yeah, he was great. It's, yeah. it's no surprise that you're as good a storyteller as you are, Steve. Well, I do say that I, I tried to learn, like he always had these things. He had three sections that he kind of tried to organize. He loved alliteration. I love alliteration. Oh. Yeah, I know. And so that's, uh, I, I'm definitely trying to pay some, uh, some honor to him and some tribute to him in, in my storytelling. I love that. Yeah. Do you have any other tips for telling a good story? <laughs> Yes. Yeah, speak from the heart. You know, again, it's, it's kind of like what you do in business is if you find something that you love and if you speak from the heart and you speak truth and authenticity, the words just flow. And so that's what I that's what I tried to do with Fearless and in and, and, well, actually, the weekly updates that became Fearless were essentially just sitting down in and just writing letters to the company about how I was feeling, how I thought they might be feeling and how we could get through that situation together. So well, right from the heart. What are some stories that you remember growing up from childhood and, and into your teenage years that you heard your father talk about? Like, what did you witness with the church as a leader of the church? And, you know, he's trying to rally the congregation and, and you, you've got to raise money and you've got to keep the lights on and, yeah. and, and keep the faith, all those types of things. What are some things that pop out? I think one of the things that was very powerful that he could do, and I think that really captured everyone's attention is he did a great job of taking current events or current media and then translating them to the lesson of the day. 
And I think maybe that's what I, I don't know, and you're making me think, Toph, because that's what I'm doing too, is I'm taking these inspirations, these learnings that I'm getting from Netflix or from my Daily Calm app or from the headlines, and I'm trying to provide some inspiration to the team. And so what he was able to do, he, I, I remember these days he would hold up, you know, we, back then there were magazines, you know, that were like pieces of paper. Wait, what's, that, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> he would hold up these magazine articles and say, and he would read from them and he would try to, you know, correlate that to, to a, the scripture lesson or the lesson for the day. And so, again, I thought, I think that that really held people's attention. It wasn't just uh, preaching, it was communicating in a way that people could really truly understand. And again, you've helped me just realize in this moment that that's what I did with Fearless as well. That's really cool. How did you go from kind of being a pastor's son yeah. to then deciding, I, you know what, I think I want to be a businessman? <laughs> and, and that's, it's a great question, man, because when I, so I grew up in a different era than you guys did. I graduated in 1985. This was, this was like the world of Wall Street, you know, uh, greed is good, Gordon mm -hmm. Gecko. So when I graduated, and, and not a lot of people wanted to be entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. it wasn't something that we aspired to do. What we wanted to do was go into business. What we wanted to do was make money. What we wanted to do was wear blue suits and white shirts and red and yellow ties and, right. and have shiny shoes. <laughs> wingtips. Remember wingtips? <laughs> exactly. Wingtips. And so, you know, I, I, I really foundationally, I really look back at the beginning of my career with, with a lot of joy. And, and um, there were some hard times too, but I got some really foundational and fundamental lessons mm -hmm. that I learned during that time. I started with a, well, they were called Coopers and Librand at the time, but now part of PricewaterhouseCoopers. And I did that for almost 10 years. And what I learned was foundationally about cash. Mm -hmm. And once you break a business down to cash, you can really do anything. And I was, I, I went from I did financial analysis for leverage buyout transactions, mergers and acquisitions, trouble debt restructuring stuff. And so I had to learn really quickly uh, a hat manufacturer, a women's shoe manufacturer, a corn wet milling process for creating you know, high fructose corn syrup. Wow. wow. Industrial sewing machines, you know, yeah. and, and quick. And my, 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 my learning curve had to be very, very short. Mm -hmm. And so what you do is break things down into foundation. And again, when I think about that, what that provided for me was this ability to be fearless, literally, in terms of what I did next, which allowed me to go into technology, hardware, software, SaaS, the music industry. You know, if you think about, there's a lot of industries that create a lot of jargon around their business. Yeah. And a lot of it is to confuse people and to make it look like it's harder than it is. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not. Yeah. <laughs> It's just investor, investor created buzzwords. <laughs> exactly. Let's create some buzzwords and, yeah. and talk in jargon. So people think we're really smart and people can't understand what we do. Right. <laughs> but if you sit down and you say, okay, let's just do this. How does cash come in? Okay, got that. How does cash go out? Okay, got that. All right, let's go. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's, I, I like that you're kind of taking something that can seem really complex and ultimately you're just breaking it down to the simplest parts. Absolutely. And again, that's a lesson that I learned early on. Mm -hmm. It's a lesson that um, I've taken forward in my career. And it's also a lesson that I want to retell for young entrepreneurs as well is just yeah. don't be intimidated. Don't, don't be afraid or don't be scared of jargon and, and, and something is too complicated. It is not. Yeah. Simplify it to cash. I love that. So, um, oh my gosh, I love that. So literally just was talking with a group of aspiring entrepreneurs a couple of days ago. And, and there's some mystique about, well, 
entrepreneurialism and starting a business and it's so complex, et cetera. So you mentioned earlier in your career, you went out and hit multiple verticals, right? Doing this analysis in multiple verticals, different types of business, totally different business models on how they get cash, how they spend cash. And so, so any other common denominators between those businesses and then maybe touch on as well, like at the end of the day, a business is no different than your household balance sheet, right? You have, you have, let's say you have a job and so you have a salary, so you have revenue coming in and then you have, you know, cash in and cash out being your mortgage or your apartment rent or your car payment or your lifestyle, having drinks or dinner, et cetera. So like business is the exact same thing as, as that. When you really break it down to the basics, what other common denominators did you notice in those, those verticals? And then how would you parlay the household balance sheet to the business balance sheet? I think it's a great example, Toph. And in fact, I used that example at our last quarterly uh, company update because I was trying to explain the need for debt and the need for investment or equity. And to the extent that a company is not uh, is spending in excess of the cash coming in, it's like a credit card balance, right? Right. It's like what, whatever's reflected on my credit card balance is how much I spent in excess of how much I brought in or, <laughs> or made. That's on my credit card. And so I, I was using that exact, the, is that exact uh, uh, example. I, I, I think that's a, a great one. But again, I think that breaking things down to their simplest elements, I, I think, is key. And I'd say, again, if you, if you look about across all of those different verticals, it is about people. And so I think that, that it is about simplification through looking at cash and then looking at the people that are making that happen and the team that's making that happen. And I think, again, I think I took that and parlayed that into some of the work that I was doing at Gateway when I was head of corporate development and looking at making acquisitions, making investments, building businesses, hiring people within that company. And, and it's all about making sure that the people that are running those business or the people that you're surrounding yourself with, share your passion, share your knowledge, share your enthusiasm, and share your set of values and how you, you know, value culture. And I learned a lot of that at Gateway. So after spending, what, 10 years uh, at, a, at a consulting agency, whatever you want to call that, right? Um, then going to Gateway, during that time, did you feel like you were still an entrepreneur, even though these are big, massive companies? So the, my time at PricewaterhouseCoopers, I'd say no. There's probably nothing that's further from being um, an entrepreneur than working for a big eight professional services organization in the mid to late 80s. (laughs) (laughs) It was not entrepreneurial. I have one question. Did you have one of those uh, leather bound hard briefcases with the leather handle that you used? So with the, with the little locking mechanisms exactly that were gold. Talking about. So I know exactly what you're referring to. Uh, I did not have one of those. But oh, I, man. I, but Tove, I, I carry these giant cases full of work papers down, you know, like six blocks from the train station down at 203 North LaSalle in downtown Chicago. I would wear marks across my pants because I would be carrying two of them down six blocks and they would just be scuffing up yeah. my pants like crazy because... I had like 50 pounds of work papers on, on, on each arm. It was <laughs> like a pack mule. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> they treated us like that and they paid us like that. <laughs> That's great. So Nate, back to your question. So when I got to Gateway, I was able to take in a lot of the learnings that I brought forward from, from my time at Coopers and Librand and apply them then in a very, very entrepreneurial setting. So Gateway was already a multi-billion dollar organization. It bought they were young. Mm-hmm. And, and Ted, Ted Waite, 
who was the founder and chairman of the company, he was only 31 years old when I joined the company wow. in 1995. And he had already created a multi-billion dollar company and he had already created that kind of wealth for himself. But it was still entrepreneurial. It was fast moving. It was, it was fast paced. We were doing things really fast. And we were, we were making some mistakes, but we were getting a lot right. And so my job there was to look for opportunities to buy companies to kind of tuck in mm. to what we were doing, software companies, um, distribution companies, look for um, uh, product companies. We, we, built a, we bought a, a large server company uh, from Southern California, as well as starting then businesses inside of Gateway, kind of in this kind of entrepreneurship type of model. So it wasn't entrepreneurship or outside. So I didn't have the fear of not making payroll. Mm -hmm. I didn't have the fear of not having an income, which came, you know, later in, in my career. But, but what we did is we took risks with kind of like house money with gateway capital. And we, for instance, we started gateway.net, the, 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 the first ISP service that was created by a hardware company at the time, yeah. we were bundling AOL with every uh, system that shipped. And AOL's getting was essentially getting free customers from from us and and the best customers. I was one of those customers. Yeah, by the there way. you go. <laughs> the best customers in the business were coming, and then so we said, "Why don't we start Gateway.net?" And so when you came to Gateway and bought a PC, we would turn you in. We it, we would finance you with a monthly payment, and we would sign you up for internet access, all for one kind of bundled monthly payment yep. on Gateway.net internet services. So that was something that was that was very forward thinking uh, at the time. And so we, we, we did a lot of those things. In fact, if you've ever been to a gateway store um, back in the day, I happened to write the original plan for the gateway country stores concept, oh, which that's amazing. grew into, you know, a, a very large um, uh, subsegment of the gateway business. But I went and did research down in Michigan on Michigan Avenue. There was the Sony gallery store right next to the Nike store and really kind of took some of the best of, let's say inspiration. We don't copy took some inspiration from each of those and said, you know, this is what we, th we think should be the, um, the gateway store concept. That, I remember getting our first computer that was a PC. My, my mom was always a, in a school system. So we always had an Apple yeah. growing up. Um, but our first, like, I would say real computer where yeah. it was like connected to the internet and had all the things. I remember opening that box that cow print cow box. box i loved it and i remember hooking up the speakers and turning it on for the first time first time i had a subwoofer you know connected to the speakers it, like that moment was just magic, magic. and it you felt so sophisticated magic. right absolutely like, Whoa. and I, I was fortunate enough to live next door to the guy who managed the computer labs at purdue so like he got me hooked up to the internet. And so thank you for making sure that I got connected to the internet when I was a kid, Steve. You're, you're so welcome. And, <laughs> and again, I love that story because that take that story, multiply it by thousands, if not millions. And, and when yeah. I talk about my gateway days today, unfortunately, I have to add gateway. You know, the computer company. <laughs> what happened to gateway? I, I, I don't remember how that all ended. What, what, what ended up happening? So gateway was ultimately sound, so, sold to Acer. Mm -hmm. And you, you can actually, I think you can actually go into Best Buy today or maybe Costco, I don't know who sells it, and buy a Gateway-branded laptop. But it has nothing to do with the original company. It just, it was just, it's a, a Acer sub-brand at this point in time. Yeah, got it. It was the brand, you yeah, know, it, for personal computing. Yeah, and again, it, it just, I, I love the fact that we were able to create those types of memories for, for you. Same for my kids. We, it, the Gateway was the first computer that they had. We have these home movies of them playing that silly 
dinosaur game, you know, that they were really excited about, but it was very, very not sophisticated <laughs> technology. <laughs> I love it. But uh, your your cop spotted box story told Nate, reminds me. Nate, do you remember these days? You remember that? Yeah, that first moment you bought a gateway computer? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, that exactly happened. The, the other funny thing is you're driving through your neighborhood after, you know, cr Christmas morning and you see people who threw away the gateway boxes. Yeah. You know, right. Most oh, people yeah. kept them for, because they were really sturdy boxes. Oh, yeah. But you see the gateway boxes kind of lining your neighborhood. Mm -hmm. like, ooh, the Johns family got a new PC. And, and, and right. Steve's like, that's what I call cash. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I hear the cash registers ringing on that one. When you were at Gateway and looking at those companies to acquire, how did you kind of break down those companies, taking what you learned at PricewaterhouseCoopers and then saying, and maybe even now as you're assessing startups, because I know you do a lot of mentoring other entrepreneurs as they're getting started. What are some of those questions that you ask uh, any entrepreneur when you're either considering in investing or acquiring or doing business with? Yeah. So first of all, from the gateway perspective, we created this grid of, you know, kind of like, what do we do mm -hmm. and what are our, the, the sum total of our needs? And then where are the gaps to yep. fill? And so we would look at, you know, we would look at, well, here's, here's an opportunity to grow in distribution. Here's, a re, here's, a, here's an opportunity for us to add intellectual property. Here's an opportunity for us to get geographical expansion. Here's product expansion. So we would kind of grid this out, cool. and then we would look at opportunities for, a, so inorganic. So we were already grow, growing organically in certain areas, but how, how are we going to fill that in with inorganic growth opportunities? And, and again, looking at these companies is a little bit different than from an from a investment standpoint because mm -hmm. We had the gateway machine already. Yeah. And so it was like, okay, we have a massive sales and marketing engine. Like, how do we, it, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of like that, that machine that tosses footballs. Uh, yeah. I can't remember, it has a weird That's name. That's a great metaphor. Yeah. The jugs machine. The jugs machine. Yeah. Nice. So it's like, take that. Can you, can you just throw it into that machine and just let it fly? Yeah. And so that's what you, we, we had that benefit behind us that we had massive distribution. We had massive brand. We could, so we could go in. You mentioned um, you mentioned your subwoofer. I still have some Boston Acoustic speakers that are sitting on my desk. Well, we got Boston Acoustics into the PC speaker space because we had million unit purchase orders that we could wield, wow. and we could just take those and kind of create value. And these companies. are the early days of cross sector <laughs> innovation. Absolutely, yes, yeah, that's very cool. Very cool. Very cool. So. Again, it was it was fun, and and as I think about it too, I think of um, the word mentorship really comes to mind as well because at Gateway I had two amazing mentors who gave me something completely different. So the first the first mentor that I had was Rick Snyder. Rick and I worked together at Cooper's and Librand. He was the president and chief operating officer. So what I learned from Rick was discipline, Excel spreadsheets, analysis. You know, really you know, thoughtful due diligence. Yeah. What I learned from Ted was gut, instinct, mm. gunslinging. You know, I mean, it's just awesome. Yeah. <laughs> he, That's so he, cool to have he that. He was a gunslinger. Yeah. yeah. And, and so it was really fun for me as a young professional growing up and, and just learning from Rick, learning from Ted, different lessons. Yeah. But bringing those together in, in Matt, to, to the answer to your question too, how do we make decisions about what to do next? It, it, it was financial-based as well as gut-based and instinct-based. Do you have a favorite lesson from either of those guys that maybe that kind of came through a story or a business deal that you were working on? Well, there's one story, but I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll save that for the after party. But yeah, but, but I guess I, what I will say is here are two, and so I will say that 
here are two guys who are completely different. Yeah. But honored and respected each other's differences. And the company needed both. And so uh, I would say is this, if you're a founder or if you're just getting your company started, I think you really do need to like do self-evaluation and, and figure out what am I good at yep. and what am I not good at yep. and, and really be able. And it, maybe you need some help from somebody to say what you're not good at. Because sometimes there's some blindness about what you're not good at. What? No. I know, Nate. It's hard good to believe. Everything. Come on. <laughs> Get somebody to help you understand what you're not good at and then go find partners, go find co-founders, find someone to, to, to do this with. I find that even today. Yeah. My executive team, first of all, are, are the best executive team in Indiana, in, in our industry, for sure. And, and what they do is they fill in the blanks for me. Mm. You know, I, they are each one of them experts in their respective fields. And I honor and respect that. And they fill in those blanks. I do, you know, I, and then it allows me to do what I do. Yeah. D tell me a little bit about what you do now with your leadership team to help lead and set that vision uh, for one cause. It, it is it is about setting the vision. Is it is about leading, but it is also about trying to get out of the way mm -hmm. and realizing that they're they're really they're really good at what they do mm -hmm. and 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 making sure that I give them. Uh, I need to make sure that there's fuel in the tank. So my job is making sure that there's an, there's enough ca back to cash, yeah. making sure that there's enough uh, capital and, and available to to grow and and make investments and 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 keep doing that, making sure that there's a a north star, making sure that there's a vision that everyone is working towards the same goal in the same direction. And, and we're, you know, we're also starting to implement things like EOS that, okay. that help us uh, really track accountability, uh, really get into weekly reporting on leading indicators, not lagging indicators, so that we can stay in front of some of these issues and start to identify them early on in the process. And so I would say that's a little bit more tactical, yeah. but it is really important to, to the growth of the business. And we have now a very regular cadence of quarterly offsite strategic planning. Mm. So every week is pretty tactical. Yep. But we make a commitment a couple of weeks before every quarterly board meeting to get offsite for a day and a half, two days, do something fun and do some really good strategic planning where we can say those time limitations I put on every meeting are off. Yeah. You know, and let's just let's just get deep on these issues and and what what have you found worked for those offsite leadership team meetings? What what is uh what did you try that you're like oh, that kind of didn't work? That was a whiff. And then and then what were you like? Oh my gosh, we didn't know that was gonna be so powerful. Any example? Yeah, I think I think the the time together is so important. And so we were we were playing. So I've got a couple of senior leaders in Chicago, and and some of the senior leaders are here with me in Indianapolis. And early on, when we brought everybody together in Indianapolis, and maybe we went to you know. Um, well, maybe we were getting off-site, but not off-site. Mm -hmm. And I was going home in the evening. My, my indie execs were going home in the evening. We missed out. Yeah. We missed out on that time after dinner, hanging out. Yep. After dinner, going and playing pool, or after dinner, going bowling, or just sitting around and, and talking. Because, again, that was, think, think about back in the Gateway days. I lived in North Sioux City, South Dakota. There is nothing in North Sioux City, South Dakota. <laughs> but we lived in Dakota Dunes, which is this really beautiful golf course community. And we went to each other's homes. And, and so, and I, you know, people talk about work-life balance. There was no work-life balance. It was just life. Yeah. And, and we, we worked at Gateway during the day. And we, we drank Gateway at night. We ate Gateway. We talked Gateway. We smoked Gateway cigars. I mean, this is what we did. We just hung out and, and chatted about the future and about the business. And I think that's what 
we were missing when everybody was going off to their homes. And so now, you know, we went to French Lick. Now we're, we're all going up to Chicago and we're going off to a hotel. And even, even the people who, are, who live in Chicago are going to stay at the, at the hotel in Chicago. And I'm dragging them to a White Sox game. I love it. <laughs> I love that. Everyone's like, can't we go to a Cubs game? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's your it's team, awesome. huh? White Sox? Oh, yeah. I love that. I love that. It, but again, it gets back to my roots. It's a chip on your shoulder team. Sure. You know, I, I, I grew up in a small town, little chip on my shoulder, you know. And so the White Sox make sense for me. The Cubs are... Chicago's town. They're right. the they're the darlings. It's um it's the White Sox for me. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> uh, quick break from our normal programming. I have Erica Schweier, COO from Elevate Ventures, here in the studio today. Erica, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. And you're gonna tell us a little bit about this Rally Innovation Conference that's coming up. Yep. So it's the largest cross sector innovation conference in the world. Um, we're gonna feature six innovation studios. So think hard tech, software, sports tech, ag and food, healthcare, and entrepreneurship's gonna kind of be our catch-all. I love that. So. Tell me what is, who's it for? Yeah, it's for innovators, entrepreneurs, investors. Honestly, anybody probably listening to the podcast. And it's going to be a multi-day thing that's multi -day. happening in downtown Indianapolis. Yep. People coming in from all over the country, maybe even all over the world to be here. That's our hope. Yep. And the dates are actually August 29th to the 31st. Perfect. And if people want to find out more information about speakers, tickets, things like that, where can they go? Yeah. So they just go to rallyinnovation.com and sign up for communications. And they can also get their tickets. I love it. You heard it here, rallyinnovation.com. We'll see you there. Well, I, um, I'm, I'm curious, uh, just thinking about kind of that transition to one cause, you could have probably done any number of things after PricewaterhouseCoopers, after Gateway, and I, I know you uh, launched an accelerator and, and, and kind of plugged it in, into the music industry. Uh, maybe you could kind of help yeah. close that gap for us of how you ended up taking a CEO job at one cause a couple years into the business uh, from kind of going, going through that whole music industry. Yeah. Ha ha happy to do that. So I started this industry accelerator together with Rick Snyder and a couple of other partners, and we grew that pretty well, but we had to survive two years, 2001 and 2008. Mm. We started the business in 2000 and got hammered the next year in 2001. Yeah. Then, then the recession of 2008 came just when we were looking at maybe doing you know, raising another fund and, 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 and doing something else. So we all kind of went our separate ways and it was, it was pretty much of a break even, mm -hmm. but I think it was a win from a net net basis, having survived 2001, having survived 2008, yeah. you know, be, before, before the pandemic, there, there was, we had a really great run. We had yeah. a really great run. There were 10 years maybe where people just thought the, the only thing, the only direction was up You're to right. the right. Yeah. You know? right. Hey, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't always happen that yeah, way. Yeah. Unfortunately not. <laughs> Wait, what? Are you serious? <laughs> I know. This is all like lessons for Nate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so. We, yeah, what, we, what did you learn during those two? Yeah. Do we have days? another hour? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, but I think the, the primary learning from that was always have a plan B. Mm -hmm. You know, like you can get really excited about like plan A, but always plan for yeah. plan B, maybe plan C. And I think, again, we've carried that lesson forward. And, and again, the pandemic really helped us understand that as well. So let me kind of jump forward to, to one cause because it, it, it is a story that I want to tell. Yeah, and please. it was called BidPal at the time. Mm -hmm. and, and it, but it starts about a year prior. And it was about 2013. And I, to your point, I, was, I had a great career. I was doing all kinds of really cool things, really fun things. The kids were now gone. We were empty nesting. I was just hitting 50. It was maybe weighing on me a little bit. So I was in this funk. 
Mm. And I didn't know what was bothering me. I didn't know what it was. And I was reading an, a Wired Magazine article with Bill Gates and Bill Clinton on the cover. And the story was how they were using their power and influence and wealth in their first careers to do good in their second careers. And I'd literally, I was on the beach with my wife. I literally put it down and I said, that's it. That's what I'm missing. It's impact. It's mission. It's purpose. That is what's missing from my professional life. Mm -hmm. Because the, my why before that was my kids. And I'm sure that you, yep. you understand that. Yeah. And, and it, was, it was what drove me. It was what drove me to create wealth, to, to, to create income, to, to create a better life for these kids. And then they were set. They were gone. They were on their own. They were doing great. It's like, now what? I think maybe it was like, now what? Yeah. And, and it took a year later, and Don Equilano, who you guys all know, um, came to Chicago and we had lunch, and he started telling me the story about a company that he was on the board of that was seeking a, a new CEO. And he was talking, and it was funny though, they had a portfolio company in Chicago, uh -huh. which I thought he was coming to talk to me about. Oh, and I'm like, this is cool. Yeah. I'm going to walk to work, you know, because we were living in River <laughs> North. We were living in the city at that point in time. And he was describing the company and I was like, that doesn't sound like that company that I read about. <laughs> yeah. last night. And, uh, but it was about serving nonprofits. Yeah. Thousands of nonprofits. We're now several thousands of nonprofits doing good work, helping them raise money with software and with technology, which was, you know, part of my DNA at that point in time. Yeah. And, you know, of course I had to keep it cool through lunch, but, you know, I came away like, okay, this is it. Like I have to do that. Yeah. And so that was, that came a year, that came a year later. And I think that when you decide or define what you want to do next, then you're able to see it when it comes across your radar. If you don't, you may miss it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it was really important for me to have already established what I was missing and what I was looking for, because when that opportunity came, I knew to grab it. I, yeah. I knew that that's what I needed. How, how did Don find you? Uh, actually, Don found me through one of my former partners with the Venture Accelerator. So his name is Chris Rizek. He, is, he run, runs Renaissance up in Detroit. Yep. And Renaissance is an LP of both Don's fund, Allos, and MK Capital, which is the other venture investor in, in uh, One Cause. And so I had reached out to Chris, just letting him know I was, I was kind of looking for a new opportunity. And he had reached out to Don, and he made the contact. For those yeah. that don't know, Don Aquilano, partner at Allos Ventures, founding partner at Allos Ventures, uh, one of the more active VC funds throughout the Midwest. Um, really just amazing guy, key player in the entire ecosystem. Um, so it's amazing that you got linked up with him, and, and that spark led to you joining One Cause. It, it really is amazing. And, and again, he continued to be that person for me on the board and, 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 and Mark Kula George as well. I, I have, I have never had a more supportive board to, to look to. And I was on, in my venture accelerator, I was probably on a dozen boards. Mm. And so I know what it, I know what it's like to be a good board member. Yeah. Good board to bad board. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I've seen, I've seen bad board members and I've tried to be a good, I, I've tried to be a good board member. Could, could you maybe share some of the, the things that you do and that you've appreciated from other great board members? Yeah. So again, I, I would say that number one, um, there is nobody who knows the business better than me, the CEO. And I think you need to respect that, mm -hmm. but also you as a board member bring all of this other outside experience, having seen it 10 times or 20 times in your portfolio, which I might not have seen yet. So I know my business, but you may have seen the specific issue that I'm facing 
20 times. Mm -hmm. And so as a CEO, you have to be open to hearing that, that there are other ways of, of looking at it. And so when I serve on a board, I always try and say, well, based on our experience or based on my experience, I don't want to say this is the way it is for you, but I want to say this is, this is the way it was for me in my experience. I think what you just said is so powerful. It, uh, so EO, oh, EO or YPO, WPO, mm -hmm. that yeah. whole organization of entrepreneurs, um, they use this con the concept called Gestalt, and it's experience sharing, not advice giving, because it's it's so easy for advice to come off as as uh, preachy, in, in, antagonistic, preachy, right. right, adversarial, and when you when you when you put forth ideas from a, based on experience, then the the correlation of whatever's happening in the company is like, oh, okay. We could do X. It's it's magic, right? It takes it right. to another level, right? And the CEO can do he can make yep. that connection yep. and just say, "Oh, yeah, I I get it now that yep. I, I'm making that connection." Yep. Yeah, I love that. I, I had a, a founder friend, uh, Max Yoder. You guys both yeah. know Max. Uh, he he always kind of described to me this idea of like share, sharing through experience is this idea of like I'm just going to put this here on the table, and if you want to pick it up, that's great. If not you weren't going to get it anyway. If, even if I said, do this, you weren't going to pick it up and run with it anyway. So that, that sort of, for me, that visual of like, I'm just going to set this here. It, it's your gift if you would like to pick it up. And, and that is such a great example. And, and, and again, then you have to be aware enough to say, oh, you know, that's a, that's a good nugget. Yeah. And sometimes you, you don't get it right away. Right. You know, and, and, <laughs> you got to suffer a little bit. You got to suffer a little bit. You know? <laughs> and then, and then your board member reminds you, remember that thing I put on the mm -hmm. table? You might want to pick that up now. A year ago. <laughs> I think that leads, leads back to like your original point on storytelling, right? Like how you can frame, even if you're delivering the same message, you know, like it's at the end of the day, the advice is still there, but like, telling someone and, and like directing them to do it versus like this experience and story and my three bullet points. And it's yours. If, if you want to take an act and like people can really, really resonate with that. You're so right. Nate. I was actually thinking about that when Toph was describing it, it was, I'm going to tell you a story and I'm going to relay an experience that I have had. And hopefully you can see some value in that or some relevancy in that, but it's, it's telling that story. Do you have advice for, let's say, CEO that maybe their board members don't tell stories? They they give them the more, you know, hey, this is this is what I think. This is what you need to do, or or just take pot shots with no solutions. <laughs> yeah, or or that either. That never do, do you have advice yeah. for? Never. Yeah. Do you have advice for CEOs that might be in in the seat that they don't have the great board members that are storytelling? I, I do. So maybe maybe that's twofold because I just thought of another one, but I, I would say definitely create your own kind of informal network of advisors, and so. Make sure that you have a support network if it's others. So I was involved in a group of CEOs who were in the software industry supporting nonprofits. And we got together every once in a while, shared best practices, shared ideas. Because again, sometimes being a CEO is a little bit lonely. You... A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're right. It's yeah. very lonely. <laughs> And I, I have the, I, I have the good fortune of having a wife who is um, smart, uh, listens to me, uh, is a confidant who is pro probably should be running a company because <laughs> based on her knowledge, you know, I, I, I think that, that she could, but I have a confidant. So I'd say create, create a network of, of, of people that, that you, you can go to for advice and, and, and create a CEO network of your own. The other thing I would say, and, and this is, um, I, which is what I tell my executives as well, 
you know, if, if my executives are saying, hey, you know, I'm really not getting through to that other person or we're really not seeing eye to eye on a certain uh, issue. I said, have you had a beer together? Mm-hmm. You know, and again, you can take it metaphorically or you can take it literally. Right. Like I will say, like, you can go have a beer or just, just go have a coffee. Yeah. But so I would say, go ask that board member to lunch, ask that board member to breakfast, ask that board member to coffee, get out of the boardroom and have a conversation about as people. And, and again, um, I'm, I'm, I see this beautiful cover of the, of the book here and I have to, to think about, yeah. there's, there's a chapter, a <laughs> little shameless plug. There's, Not there's shameless a, at all. There's a chapter in there, chapter 15. It's my favorite. It's called Connect. Mm. And, and what, I'm, what I'm reminding everyone in the kind of leadership lessons is the pandemic took away a lot of things, but what it took away was human connection. Yep. In human connection, I talk about family. I talk about your, your immediate family. I talk the extend, extended family of One Cause Nation and how we missed each other through this period of time. I talk about friends and friendship and, and just being able to hang out with people. And I also talk a little bit about, um, I, I think it's called like Celebrate Life. Yeah. Death came to us in the pandemic and we couldn't celebrate it. We couldn't be with people. And it, 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 it accelerated the, 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 down, the downward, I know that it accelerated the downward spiral of my dad's um, dementia Mm. because of that separation, because of that lack of human connection. And so I am always about get together as human beings. We're meant to connect as human beings. Physiologically, we're meant to connect as human beings. Let's, and and I think we're going to have issues for years. And, you know, it's not a a big, big idea that I have. We're going to have issues for years, mental health issues that we're going to, that are coming out of that lack of connection. We were taught. We were taught during the pandemic to avoid people. Yeah, I mean, imagine I mean, that. Like, here comes some people. You're walking out in your neighborhood. Here comes some people walking down the sidewalk. Let's cross the street so we don't cross each other because right. they're not wearing masks right. or you're not wearing a mask. We were taught and we were teaching our kids to avoid people. Yep, that's gonna that's have not ripple good. And, and, and their closest, yeah, their 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 closest, their grandparents are right. right. They're they're. they're so, so talking about connections, right? Like One Cause is a company and you guys serve nonprofits and a big part of that are galas and events where tons of connections are made. Global pandemic happens, not a lot of connections being made in person, right? Tell me about that where, where you're running a business that's helping with these events and all of a sudden there's no events. What do you guys do? I know, man. I, <laughs> I, I, I can't say, you know, again, that, that's like, it, it leaves me speechless today just thinking about mm-hmm. it. On that week that was Friday, March 13th, and uh, going into Saturday, March 14th of 2020, in-person events went away. We had 2,100 scheduled in-person events for that spring. They went to zero. Overnight. 2,100. 2,100. Overnight, they went to zero. So we had to, and, and thank goodness we had a really strong kind of end of February, early March. So there had been a lot of fundraising before that. So we had a little bit of capital built up. So the first thing that we had to do, obviously, is to make sure we put our misks on first yeah. and make sure that we stabilized the company and made sure that there was viability in the company. And then we had to go to, go to work. We had to go to work reaching out to those nonprofits and saying, hey, we know what happened. Um, and so let's go virtual. Let's go online. Let's reschedule it. Let's figure this out. Because there was, there was never an answer that was like, we're just not going to do fundraising this year because they need that fundraising right. to, to fund their mission for the year. Yeah. And so there w- it wasn't an option to not fundraise. And so what we found and what our customers found is that our technology solution, 
thank goodness I won't knock on the table because of, of <laughs> the, the sound. Yeah. But knock on wood, thank goodness. We were mobile first to begin with. We were native. We were we were a progressive mobile app. We weren't a native mobile app, but we were a neighbor, uh, pro progressive mobile app that you use your phone to bid and to give. And so nonprofits were bringing us into the ballrooms with 500 people, 1,000 people. They were just walking around the ballroom using their phone yep. to bid. Well, they can use their phone to bid at home, in yeah. their kitchen, in their living room, in their basement, and they did. And, and nonprofits got into rooms like this and broadcast on uh, YouTube or on, on Twitch. And early on, we had two screen experiences where you could bid on our application and watch the live or watch the live stream video on Twitch or YouTube. And then ultimately we built a one screen experience uh, that we released in September of 2020. And that has become now the foundation for our, the fundraising platform that we just released. And so it was about shifting, changing. I'm trying to avoid using the word pivot because I'm okay with pivot, but I know that some people don't like that word. But I just said yeah, it. Yeah. I just said it. Pivot, pivot's not necessarily like a negative word. Like some people think it's a negative thing. I'm like, why? Why is that a negative thing? I don't know. Because you're learning and changing and I, adopting and adapting. And I'm I'm with you, Toph. I mean, we did pivot. Yeah. We pivoted like hard. Yeah. Like that moment. Did you actually gain a lot more customers because of your ability to have virtual events? We our customer base grew by 35 percent in 2020. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean. The, soft, the software just took off because in, in our world, you know, in the nonprofit world, there's a lot of paper, mm -hmm. paper checks. And, and in the silent auction world, it's paper bid sheets. And so you've, you've probably been to those galas where they have the yep. multiple layer forms and they tear off the top and that's a paper bid sheet. That's what we replaced. There were still a, a large number of organizations who had not made the move to do And then so. you have to track them down to collect the money. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Because it's just, a piece, it's just a piece of paper with, right. with writing on it. And so... What we were able to do is capture those nonprofits who thought, I'm, I'm never going to need technology all of a sudden. They needed technology. So we were part of this digital transformation that occurred in so many industries. And so what, what's happening now is because we grew our customer base so strongly in 2021, 20, 22, we're beginning to see the benefits of that. It's just, you know, we're just increasing that base of customers and then monetizing that through more events, larger events more uh, donations and generosity coming through that. And so that's what we see in 2023. And that's what we you know, really hope, that's what we see early on. And that's what we see hope, that's what we hope uh, we see continue. Thinking back to March of 2020, Steve, um, you know, world shuts down, you have 2,100 live events go to zero. Um, what were some of those key things that you did as a leader that helped kind of rally the team? So immediately it's all hands. So it's communication yeah. and transparent communication and communicate often because you can't have people uh, sitting at home, wringing their hands, wondering what's next. Yeah. So what we, what we did, we had about, we probably had about maybe 150 people in the company, maybe half of which, uh, or maybe a little bit more were of that were in Indy. And so of course we all went home on March 16th, March 17th, when, when everyone went home. Now, what do you do? You, you, we had just established this beautiful set of values that we were building and culture and, you know, just kind of creating that office culture and that just evaporated, that just went yeah. away. And so it was, let's get together, let's communicate early and often. And, and through that first communication is really the genesis of fearless. Mm. So in that communication, I said, basically this, our, our journey back is not going to be measured on a calendar. I'm not going to say. 
in September, we're going to be good. So, you know, everything goes back to normal. I don't know. So the only way that we're going to be able to measure our, our journey back is it, is it will be measured by how our customers get back to fundraising. And so the only way that you're going to know that is if I communicate that to you. And I'm going to commit to you to communicate, you know, kind of dot, dot, dot weekly. And that was the beginning of sitting down April 2nd or the first week of April or something and saying, hey, how's it going? Like, here's the first of my weekly updates. Yeah. And that's how that's, you know, so I didn't sit down to write a book. I call myself the accidental author. I love that. I, Good alliteration. <laughs> yes, my dad would be happy. Yes. <laughs> so I call myself the accidental author because what I did was I sat down to write a weekly update, my first weekly, weekly update. And then I wrote another one. And then I wrote another one. And then it just became a succession of weekly updates. And they did start to take shape and form the, the, the beautiful lotus flower on the front of the book is an, an illustration that I used maybe on my second or third, maybe my third update. And, and I, was being, I was being pretty factual the first couple of updates because I really hadn't found my kind of my, my, my voice yet, my groove yet. And I was doing my morning mindfulness and, and, and calm app, and I heard the story. And that story is about, the, from, from ancient Buddhism, uh, the, the lotus bud in the mud, in the muck and mire of the pond, and making its journey through the mud and through the pond and finally emerging at the top of the pond as this beautiful white flower. And the bud symbolizing potential and the flower symbolizing the resilience and the beauty and the transformation of that bud. And I, and I said, this is a story that I need to retell to my team because right now we are in the mud. Mm. We're in the mud. And, and we can't, like if we looked up, we couldn't even see through the pond. Right. <laughs> we were in the mud. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so, but, but I want to say that I wanted to create this vision that we could become this beautiful lotus flower sitting on, on the, the surface of the pond. And so that really was the first update that I used this illustration and to kind of tell a story of how we have this way back. And, but I also was pretty honest, uh, very honest and, and, and authentic and saying, don't know how we're going to get there. I don't have the solution. There is not a playbook that I'm, that I'm taking from. I love that. It. I yeah. love that. And so let's do it together. Everyone yep. preaches, you hear authenticity, so important, be authentic. What's your advice to people out there, to leaders that want to lead authentically? Right. So, you know, it's just be true, be true to yourself, be, be true to who you are, uh, tell the truth. Um, and, 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 and so again, I think that as I, as I look at that, we were in a situation where there were, where there were no answers to, to be had. And if I would have gotten up and said, I've got all the answers, don't worry, I'm your leader, just follow me, I've got it. Okay. Everyone would have known that I wasn't being truthful and I wasn't being authentic. And so the, the, the thing that you do there is you kind of take inventory and you say, this is what I know. This is what I don't know. But I will commit to you. I will commit to you that if we work together, we will do this. We will get through it. We will find a way. We'll find a way through the mud, through the pond, up to the surface. I love that uh, you mentioned the lotus flower. It's like some companies have a north star. You have a north flower. Yes. <laughs> and and that, that visual is so powerful. Um, what, was, what were some of the responses to that note and some of the other notes that you sent? They really became my fuel mat. I really appreciate the, the, the opportunity to talk about that. And we, 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 that's why we included some testimonials from some one causers in the book as well. 
So I would be essentially writing this letter to everyone and asking for a response. Sometimes like, tell me how you're feeling mm-hmm. or are you with me? And sometimes not just like, there it is, you know, you know, kind of stay fearless, Steve. <laughs> and I would get these messages back. Thank you so much for that update. I was waiting for it. You knew what I was thinking. How did you know what I was thinking? It's what I needed to get through to the next week. And that was my fuel that kept me going because, you know, honestly, week after week after week, it, it took a lot. It was pretty draining. And, and not, everything, not everything that I wrote made it to the book because we took out a lot of confidential information. Sure. Every week, I put together uh, details on the number of events that we did, the type of those events, and the, the total proceeds that were coming from those events wow. to see how that was tracking. And that was a big undertaking. did that every week. That's not in the book. Yeah. And so that, it, it, there was a lot of energy that was expended on that. And, and every once in a while, I think, you know, maybe, maybe it's time. Maybe I, it's time that I would stop. And then I would get one of these amazing emails back from somebody on the team. I said, I can't stop. I have to keep going. Yes. I did finally stop uh, about maybe second quarter of 2022. It was just like, okay, yeah. you guys got it. Yeah. That's yeah. great. Take, take the training wheels off. Take the training wheels off. You got it. <laughs> what, what were some of the unexpected benefits that you noticed from just developing a writing practice like this, where you didn't know you were writing a book, but you knew you were writing something each week? Um, did you have anything that was unexpected that you benefited from just from having a writing practice as a CEO? So maybe what I did is I developed a better point of view mm. and a different perspective of myself as a leader. And I began to define again, what I, what it was that I believed in and, um, and was able to communicate to others. And so I think, again, we, we've been talking a little bit about lessons for CEOs or lessons for leaders. Define who you are and what you believe in. Yeah. I, I have in my career taken a blank sheet of paper, wrote the word, I believe, colon, and just, and just write one through 30, whatever it is. What do you believe? What do you stand for? And, and, uh, and, and, and so I think, you know, developing a point of view was, was really important. The other thing that, that, that I was able to do was keep culture intact. Mm-hmm. And so it was very, very hard. And so it became this tether of culture, this, this one kind of touch point that everyone could get every week and see the, the, the message that was coming from me and where we were going, how, how I was feeling, and again, providing a, a, a foundation for everyone to know and understand. I, I think probably, you know, th- there was probably more CEO con- uh, communication during that period of time than in pre-COVID or post-COVID. Yeah. They, they heard from me every week. Yeah. I think that these talking about writing it down, right, I believe, is so critical. There, there are a lot of, there's a lot of people out there who watch like you as a successful CEO. They're like, well, Steve just has it. He just, he just has it together, and I'm not Steve, and so I suck. I'm a failure, right? They don't see Steve writing down what he believes behind the scenes at night at two in the morning or whenever and rewriting it and rewriting it and rewriting it. In one of the updates of my book, I share that exact story. It starts with, this isn't the first draft of this update. (laughs) I want to tell you what just happened. I spent several hours putting together the first draft and I looked at it and I read it. And I was horrified yeah. and I threw it away. Like, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it was, and it was not constructive and it, it was, 
it was more venting. I was angry at something that was happening in the country, in the world, and I was writing about it. And it was not for the company. It was for my own personal edification and, and gratification. It was it made me feel better, but it didn't tell a story. It didn't make anyone else feel better. And I said, I'm sorry that I did that. I tore it up and I started over. And so I know exactly what you're saying because, and everyone else does too, because they know that it wasn't perfect from the very beginning, that it was, it was not worth publishing and it didn't get published. It, it got deleted. Well, I, I really appreciate uh, just your transparency, Steve, uh, how authentically you lead, you share these stories, you, you write in the book Fearless, which I highly recommend people pick up. Um, I've got my copy. Um, thank you, Steve. You're welcome. And um, I'm, I'm just so, I so admire what you've built with One Cause. You know, every year we've had the Powder Keg Tech Companies Awards for Best Company Culture. You have won several awards in several categories. Uh, and when I say you as a collective you, because yes. I know it's, it's all the one causers who are coming together and, and following your leadership. Um, but I just want to say thank you for coming and sharing a little bit about this. I really hope people pick up the book, Fearless. Um, and I just want to say thanks. Well, first of all, you're welcome. But thank you for having me. It's, it's been an honor and, and a privilege to be able to just kind of share. I love talking about the background. I love talking about Gateway Days. That was really fun, too. Yeah. Uh, about one cause and, again, particularly about Fearless. I, it, it is just, I've heard, already heard many, many uh, stories from my team and how we feel so blessed and so fortunate to have this record of the two years that we spent during the pandemic. And there's one, there's one portion in there that I do, I do want to bring attention to. I think it was maybe April of 2020, and it was a list. And I said, I promise you that we will do the following things again. And it was shake hands, go to a movie, get a haircut, go on a date, go to church. Like these, and you look at that list and say, we weren't doing those things. Yeah. It's when you, when you look back at that, it's a crazy it is, time capsule. it is super emotional to see what we were going through. And I've, I've already gotten that type of feedback from my team. It's just like, kind of forgot Steve. Like, yeah. and that's, I think what we do as human beings. Sometimes we leave some of the bad stuff behind. Yeah. And so it, it's a, it's a good reminder. Well, not Thank so, you. not so fast, Steve, you're not getting out of here without the lightning <laughs> round. Oh yes. At the end of every episode, we, uh, we go through a, a couple quick questions. Lightning. So I got the feedback that our lightning round should actually be lightning. So, okay, now to our usual three questions. We have, outside of the amazing entrepreneurs, what is Indiana known for? Well, I'll tell you, based on my experience last Saturday, in, Indiana is known for robotics. Oh. oh what's the story there? They, the St Indiana State Robotics Championship was held at Lucas Oil on Saturday uh, for kids uh, from elementary through high school. It was mind-blowing. It was so amazing. There are future leaders coming from that. I love that. That's, that's great. Robotics. Okay, what is one hidden gem in Indiana? So I'm an outsider. I came down here from Chicago, so I don't know probably as well as you guys know. So, so I'm probably not qualified to give you a hidden gem. But let me tell you, can I switch it up on you and tell you, here are some things that, that we found that we think are just gems and they're not hidden. Yep. I think a gem in this town is Newfields. It is gorgeous. I can't believe that it's right there. I mean, my daughter lives maybe a less than a mile away from, from it. It is a gem. The indoor display, the outdoor grounds it is, is a gem, Newfields. Here's another gem. 
Victory Field oh. in downtown Indianapolis, where the Indianapolis Indians play. I don't know if people in, in, Indi in Indianapolis or Indiana understand how lucky they are to have a, a, a baseball field, a professional baseball field in the middle of their city. It is super cool. Yeah, absolutely. Great... Opening day is Friday. It's looking like it might get rained yeah. out, obviously, but whenever we post yeah, this. But again, I coming. mean, think, think about summer evening, yeah, hot summer cool. evening. Uh, oh, it is just great. spectacular. Thursday night beer specials there for anyone that wants to enjoy. <laughs> yeah, there's, it's some, got the inside there's some good stuff there. Okay. Right. Last, Am I being lightning enough? Oh, you are <laughs> lightning. Uh, last question. Who is someone that we need to keep on our radar? Someone doing something big. Wow. Okay. So... I'm trying to stay lightning, so I, I don't have a specific name for you, but I'm going to hearken back to my comment on Indiana Robotics. Somebody in that room is going to do something big. Mm. And so <clears throat> what it made me feel like is, you know, you, you, when you're watching a professional baseball game and they show a picture of that kid when they were in Little League, yeah. you know, before yeah. they ever were even de determined to be like a superstar, there are superstars in that room. So I'm sorry I don't have a name for you, but look for future leaders coming from that robotics program. They're learning communication. They're le learning competition, but collaborative and cooper cooperation competition. They use the word alliance when they compete. There's something special going on there. I, I think that's a, a great answer and perfect, perfect mic drop moment. Please don't drop your mic. Uh, <laughs> perfect mic drop moment to uh, end the episode. Absolutely. Steve, thanks so much for Thank sharing you. your story. Congrats on all the momentum with One Cause. Congrats on all the momentum with the Fearless book. Um, it's wonderful. And thanks for sharing your story. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Steve. Thank Good you. to see you. This has been Get In, Powder Kick Production in partnership with Elevate Ventures. And we want to hear from you. If you have suggestions for our guest or segment, reach out to Matt or Nate on LinkedIn or on email. To discover top-tier tech companies outside of Silicon Valley in hubs like Indiana, check out our newsletter at powdercake.com newsletter. And to apply for membership to the Powdercake executive community, check out powdercake.com premium. We'll catch you next time and next week as we continue to help the world get in. Since you just listened to this podcast, you might be thinking about starting one for your company. Lucky for you, our partners over at Casted have you covered. Casted is the first and only podcast and video marketing platform made specifically for B2B brands. I love this about them. The platform makes it possible to publish, syndicate, amplify, and measure the value of your podcast and video content. In fact, we use it for our podcast here at Powder Keg. And if you're a startup, you should listen up because Casted for startups is definitely for you. They are offering exclusive deep discounts of up to 82% off retail price for qualifying startups. Connect with Casted at casted.us slash powderkeg.